0: Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P slash pivot.
2: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. Hi,
0: everyone. This
3: is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher.
1: And I'm Scott Galloway. And Kara, our dishwasher, that bitch doesn't know what hit it. Oh, Why? my God. Are we abusing the dishwasher? It, this thing had not been turned on in two years. <laughs> and God now so. it is it is being asked to work overtime. The dog, even the, my dogs are sick of me. My dog's are like, they? Jesus Christ, get out of here already.
3: I've been sick of, sick for you for since I met you but that's okay that's no problem so you're actually eating at home in other words correct
1: yeah a lot of eating at home a lot of a lot of, of, of um I I think about loading the dishwasher and unloading the dishwasher and occasionally I do it but it's just we also you know what we pass the hours playing this game called, why do you do it that way? And no one ever wins. No (laughs) one ever wins. There's never a winner. Why do you do things this way? By the way, that's from the great Simon Holland. He's this total dad joke guy on Twitter. I steal a lot of material from him. It is,
3: yeah. Well, you know, everyone's trying their hardest, I think. He's really good. You know, I try to keep that in mind. Every time I go to be irritated, I try. I've I've done it a couple times, but I've, I've felt bad about it. And then I'm like extra nice. Yeah. Um, because it's really just the tension of the situation. Although last night Amanda wanted me to buy one of those rose, uh, those rose quartz uh, rollers that you roll on your face and it makes you feel better.
1: <laughs> rose quartz rollers. I find. Yeah. I find I get shitty drunk and just say I hate you. Uh, that to me is my <laughs> therapy. <laughs> That's my therapy. <laughs>
3: Well, what you ha- can't do is listen yeah. to President Trump uh, touting a drug. I have this feeling there are links somewhere with with the with the drug companies. Some, some crime is happening as he keeps touting this hydroxychloroquine. I had a yeah. big uh, back and forth yeah. on Twitter with all these crazy either they're Bitcoin. I don't know who they are. They're just like insane. Like there are studies. And when you click to them, they're not really studies. They're just, they're trying to do clinical trials on this anti-malarial drug. And right. they lit- they have the president doing this and he wouldn't let Fauci answer. Fauci thinks it's all him. quackery, yeah. I think yeah. and has sort of said so. Um, and you know, th- there's, there's trials in place to deal with it, but it's a very dangerous drug. if just used, but people are just like lost their friggin' minds. It's really crazy. Um, so uh, I'm very exercised about that. That's what I got mad about less than I was ranting when I was sitting in bed about the situation, about crimes in in plain sight.
1: Well, it's it's uh, what um, Jonathan Hyde said, that 9-11 was our last shared experience. And what I find about hydroxychloroquine is that uh, people's l- l- legitimacy around it is a function of their political party. It's just yeah. very strange. We used to, in this country, have a respect for science that, okay, we would all get and it's on both sides. I find that a lot of people who immediately think that there's no way it might be helpful, and who knows, it might be. It, it, it might be helpful. It's worth looking into. It's worth getting— It is
3: being looked into. Well, that's the thing. Right. I don't, I, agree, I that, disagree with you legit- on both sides. thing. That's bullshit. It is being looked into. Nobody doesn't want a cure— well, I think that it's just. I'm they glad want you're to being
1: so it. even-handed.
3: No, but I mean, I'm like saying this both sides. It's not both sides. It's we're trying to like have people not die from something that's unproven. Well, oh, right, and but I th- what I
1: but what I have found is yeah. that me and my progressive friends immediately are just a hundred percent skeptical that there's no hope for this thing. And the reality is, who knows? There might be right. There there might be. But my point is. We are having two pandemics, and Republicans believe this is a knockout drug. Go back to work. This this works, and isn't this, this great news? And Democrats think this is just irresponsible junk science, and it, this will never have any value around this disease. And the reality is, both both don't know what we are finding on the right. Though is that they seem to have believed that we can circumvent all standard norms around science and and how we test drugs, like in that it's not about finding some. I mean, have you seen Fox News? Fox News might as well be an infomercial for this shit. I know. I mean, they're just but, talking well, they're just about trying to go day. from
0: bad
3: to worse because lawsuits have happened, have started to occur against this this terrible, terrible network. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think I don't un- even understand why you would do this. I don't. E- why would you put people's lives to further? Us? It feels like the 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 GOP is suicidal. It's it's really crazy, and it's not. Listen, everybody would like a cure, and if this worked, that would be great. But I think you have to do at least the minimum number of clinical yeah. trials to make Hard sure it's fine. With. Because the yeah. uh, today in the times they were talking about what happens if it goes awry and it can cause heart arrhythmias in healthy people, um, and I know every drug has its thing. I get it mm-hmm. that sometimes that's the the case, but it just it, it, I don't know they they I think the, the the concept like I was I was objecting to Rudy Giuliani's trying to get subscribers to his website by touting it saying it's the miracle cure. And whenever I hear the word miracle cure, I think of like a peddler wandering around the United States killing people like and especially him he's you know he's just become such a ridiculous doddering menace that it's hard to contain myself anyway
1: we haven't heard a lot from from oh, well, mayor Giuliani the 9-11 of mayors he's trying <laughs> to
3: become relevant again by hawking this ridiculous thing and I, I I am certain he has these stocks of these drug company I like I don't even I don't not certain I just it's like there's got to be some scam happening here um, and the ability of people to take advantage of a crisis like this is just really—who who had who had who had poo pooed it before? That's why I have no belief in the in that situation. Anyway, it's really irritating, and especially using Twitter to do so is really irritating. But speaking of technology, let's go back to technology. And our big yeah. story today is Zoom had yep. a few. Be- big, big weeks. And now the answer has to answer some even bigger questions. The University of Toronto released a paper looking into Zoom's encryption practices and found significant weaknesses in their system, including servers in China, which is not uncommon. Uh, Last week, Washington Post reporter Drew Harwell and his colleagues found that as a result of the weaknesses, thousands of personal Zoom videos were available on the open web without a password. Uh, This is a huge privacy concern. Those videos include uh, therapy sessions, job training calls with doctors, uh, Zoom wrote a blog post trying to explain what their version of encryption meant and they said well we never intended to deceive any of our customers we recognize there is a discrepancy between the commonly accepted definition of end-to-end encryption and how we were using it which <laughs> that's like a fantastic sentence yeah. the goal is of our encryption design is to provide maximum amount of privacy as possible supporting the diverse needs of our client base you know, it's it, and then there's the, the, the not just the privacy, but the security, of course. As you know, I have, I have a victim of Zoom bombing, as I've met, noted 103 times. Um, but they've had a massive few weeks. They reached more than 200 million daily users last month in December. They only had yep. 10 million. Uh, Zoom says that over 90,000 schools across 20 countries have started using the, the company for remote education and not the New York school system, which is. Um, moving away from Zoom to rival uh, service Microsoft Teams. Uh, Google also has software Hangouts available to schools. And on on um, on CNN, Eric uh, Yuan, who I'm trying to get to come on uh, Recode Decode, he apologized on the privacy issue, saying, we've learned our lessons, we've taken a step uh, back to fo- focus on privacy and security. So <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Tech really always comes through in these moments of crisis, don't they? (laughs) Just, like, amazing. Um, Again, it's a good product. It's the same complexion. Go ahead, Scott. Go for it. Well, it's the
1: same complexion, right? The thing that's, the thing, everything's about scale. Everything's about uh, demoting and or you don't get promoted if you suggest anything. Anyone who says, anyone who's in the background under their breath that says, have we thought about if this happens, Mm-hmm. Right? And anything that gets in the way of well, we can go from ten to how would we go from ten to two hundred million uh, daily active users? Anyone who says, "Well, have we thought about the security risks?" gets gets sent to the island of misfit careers. And it's the same. It's it, it was a total it was a total disregard for scale. that got Facebook in trouble with Cambridge Analytica and GRU. It's been a total a total uh, you know, lack of concern around what the scale is that's resulted in content on YouTube that has radicalized young men. And it's the same thing at Zoom, the temptation to be worth more than the U.S. auto industry and be the new Mark Zuckerberg and the guy or the gal that gets invited to speak at Stanford Business School and be seen as kind of a, the, you know, the new idol in our capitalist society is so great that you just kind of hope that those security concerns don't come to haunt you and also they're the poster child for kind of big tech right now in this in this yeah so they're getting a lot more scrutiny but also they're again that they, you just can't it's it's so hard to do the right thing in these situations and the right thing should have been we screwed up here we're absolutely slowing this down and we're going to implement all kinds of uh, new security features because there this gets it gets it's funny at first you hear stories that are kind of funny and then you hear yeah. about the fact that there are a lot of classes with eight year olds that yep. are now public I exactly. mean, this this could get pretty ugly pretty fast.
3: A hundred percent.
1: And they you, thought
3: you, the New York school system was too Quick, I I noticed on, uh, on a lot of reaction to it was like, well, so what? And I was like, so what? There's children involved. And what was another thing that was disturbing was the University of Toronto researchers also found that Zoom appears to own three companies in China through which at least 700 employees are paid to develop Zoom software. Again, not uncommon, uh, right. but it's, you know, it, it shows this interconnected world. And of course, China's under great scrutiny for uh, under reporting, the Washington Post had a, a terrific story this weekend about the delays and what part of it was about China not allowing our researchers to have uh, examples of this virus. So uh, China's no w- winning place for any anything going on with this virus, but at the same time, still continues to be a problem on the global scale of security, of of privacy security
1: yeah well, it's again, it's just another it it's too bad for the tech community because zoom was zoom is an incredible story, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like, oh god, this shit again another another tech company that prioritizes shareholder value over stakeholder value
3: what What do you think of his reaction?
1: I think his reaction, I think it was right. I just don't think it was strong enough. I think it should have been, this is unacceptable. We screwed up here. We're, these are all of the things we're doing. But to come out and say, you say encryption, I say not really. That just wasn't, yeah. that was somebody in com- comms. That was too many communications consultants. That was to say, we failed here full stop. We did not anticipate the the scrutiny and the opportunities and the leakage that come with this type of scale. We are shutting down, you know, the following features, and we are we are all over security and our you know our only priority. The only thing I find disturbing about
3: that is we were using it a lot. I mean, I know at work we use it a lot before this, and so then I'm like, what did they take? You know, what did they take pictures of? Uh, You know, very um, confidential meetings happening. I think with a lot of people. I think previously, like, what happened to all that information? Or did, where did it go? Or well, did it
1: people get people have always said that if the Mossad, the GRU, the CIA, and you know the the, the MI six got together and trying to tried to invent and imagine the ultimate reconnaissance tool, mm-hmm. they couldn't have in their wildest dreams thought up Facebook in terms of how effective it would be for tracking people, sure. understanding where they are, what they're doing, who their friends are, and if they can hack into their account, begin manipulating the relationships. Uh, but the probably even better tool would be. Well, what if what if we could see everyone's communication on video, including the charts and graphs they were sharing with other people? So this is. I got you. Got to imagine, for example, coming out of this. I bet there's just going to be so many layers here. There's going to be insider trading laws that have been broken. I'm yeah. almost certain that people have hacked into this to find out confidential meetings from lawyers and acquisitions and find out non. Non-public, non-public information, material inside information. There's just so many. There's just so. You can just see this could go so many, um, so many bad. So many. It, down it'll be interesting so many to see roads. if
3: Microsoft Teams or or Google Hangouts gets better. Now, you know, yeah, there's always that old saying: you get what you pay for. And Zoom is yeah. free, and that's why a lot of people use it. Um, and that it's easy.
1: It's yeah, it's easy. You just click on it, and it pops up. It's but its biggest ben- asset is its biggest flaw. They made it just so easy. Mm-hmm. That it's easy for everybody, right? It's kind of yeah. easy to pull up and and uh, and, and start start seeing start zooming, if you will.
0: Well, would you
3: go to Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts? Um, I, I, you know, I always have I always have issues putting on Google anything. You know, I have Nest in my house, and I don't. I'm thrilled my neck my other house that I'm moving to doesn't have it. Um, I, I think you know. I think I might consider using Microsoft Teams. Um, because it seems like they're they at least, although again, I can't believe I'm trusting Microsoft around privacy and security. It's really there's nowhere to go except for like shouting over the fence, essentially
1: shouting over the fence, I like that. yeah, I've always thought I've always thought that Slack and Zoom um are shorts because Microsoft basically calls the the uh, the i t guy or your CTO. And your IT or your CTO guy who you think it should be very strategic and some are at some companies, but mostly they're with one one job, and that is not to fuck up, not to have the system go down, not to to have your, your entire IT network go down and have someone from Albania call you and demand $45,000 in Bitcoin to make sure people show up every day and can turn on their computers and things work. Their job is mostly they're invisible until they fuck up. It's one of those jobs that is just incredibly, I think, unrewarding. Having said that, that the opportunity and the reason why I think Slack and Zoom are shorts is that Microsoft has one very powerful sales tool, and that is the sales guy calls and says, you know we're secure, you know we're in the enterprise, and when you let people use Collaborate on Slack instead of Team and you let them use Zoom instead of our product, you're taking a risk for the enterprise, and you have been warned. And yep. people freak out and say, "I'm going with the enterprise solution that has shown itself to be pretty secure, and that's Microsoft." And well, that's
3: true, but I mean, one of the things that you know you say about Zoom or Slack is, look, they made better products. They made better products, yep. and one of the problems with you know easier to use or simpler or more you know even the even the name Zoom makes. You know, yep. feels better and some weird with Slack, same thing. And so I think that's the that's always been the push pull is people that make sort of like Spotify, I think, is better than any of the music services, but now the others have caught up essentially. But there's a reason they, you know, they jumped out. Any of these companies jump out, is because they make better they have more nimble companies. And I think what happens along the way is they get sloppy in terms of a des- design. And so they have some weird version of encryption that isn't encryption. Um, and you would trust them initially because you assume that they're behaving like the bigger companies that you, and even them, you don't trust as much. So it's it's a real problem for consumers, especially right now.
1: But you talked about the psychology of it. And I, I believe the psychology is linked to the economic cycle. And that is, and we forget this because it's been so long that we are at this point in the economic cycle. And that is we are right now sitting here today at this moment, we are heading into a recession. And we don't know, we haven't had that feeling and that dynamic in 12 years. Mm -hmm. And what happens going into a recession is that people are drawn towards gray hair, people are drawn towards the big and the conservative. In the last 10 days, I have lost two key employees, to Google and to Nike, who I would not have lost during a Mm -hmm. boom time. Because during a boom time or coming out of a recession, People want to go with the innovators. They want to go with the new thing. They want to try stuff. They want to be a part of a startup. And then going into a recession, people get fearful. And they immediately draw back from the new shit, and they go to the tried and true, and they go to safety. There's a flight to safety. And you're going to see that across tech products and coming out. I mean, unfortunately, it's like you said. I love that. What did you say? We're all yelling over the over the fence? Fence, Yeah everyone everyone's like okay this is a fearful time okay are we moving too fast you were in our know, next year we're going to talk about legislation and everything kind of goes back to safety and what's safe amazon apple facebook and google
3: yeah Presumably, I don't trust the money of them either. See, that's the problem. Yeah. I think it's it's a real it's it, it's sort of we have given our lives over to this, but it, they these these companies they sort of hop out, and again they they are showing the way of things that are easier to use and easier to think, and then they just can't help but take advantage of the situation. <laughs> that's really you know,
1: that's it's really job. quite it. That's their job. I, I don't. I, I. It's you read that story, and we're we're leaking now into the next story where sure, all the which big we're tech, tech companies. Get to after the break. All the big tech companies can't resist and are taking advantage of the cloud cover of this crisis to say, well, maybe we should delay these privacy regulations. Yeah, we're going to get
3: into that. We're going to go to a quick break and come back with one
2: more big story and then a friend of Pivot. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
3: Okay, Scott, we're back. Let's talk about that topic we're just talking about. uh, Silicon Valley lobbyists and what they're up to under the COVID-19 cloud cover, which is a great way that you've put it. The New York Times' David McCabe has the following story. Many industries like travel and hospitality have experienced immediate devastation by the virus and are seeking bailouts, not so Silicon Valley. Google and Facebook lobbyists have asked California legislators to slow uh, the rollout of the new California Consumer Privacy Act. Remember, CCPA is the biggest privacy legislation to happen in the United States. And it looks a lot like uh, Europe's GDPR. It's different, has differences. The CCPA requires businesses to give people a copy of the data that has been collected about them. Companies have complained that the rules would place too many obligations on businesses right now. And now that COVID-19 has slowed everyone's work, companies are saying that delaying the regulations is even more urgent. What should governor, California governor, um, uh, Newsom do Gavin Newsom do, and and it's not just California. McKay reported that reps for Amazon and Alphabet are asking legislators to loosen regulations to limit where drones can deliver. Um, so delivery, uh, look, they're saying float regularly and they're taking advantage. Well, you know, under the cloud cover, oi oy, oy.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's easy it's, it's easy to tackle from the cheap seats and just say the governor and the respective governors and legislators should just just say no. I don't know if there's, you know, I don't know the situation there because I you always think in, I think you're more, you're more, um, I don't know, knowledgeable about the inner workings of government, but I've never understood how lobbyists, I guess it's because they are very knowledgeable, very nice, have big expense budgets. I don't know what it is or just give away money, but how it appears that this, these incredibly smart people are just so vulnerable or susceptible to lobbyists. But it feels mm-hmm. like it would seem just very nakedly um, greedy or, or self-serving to be showing up in this time and saying, shouldn't we use this as an opportunity to press the pause button? And we do we really want to be making changes right now? Because a lot of these companies are saying, and the company that m- maybe has done this, maybe isn't, but the company that is in, in my opinion, the company that has the most cloud cover to get additional relief or or benefit or regulations waived right now is Walmart. It has struck me through this crisis how important Walmart is to the nation. They're mm-hmm. essentially right now the nation's food supply chain. I mean, when we talk about or the supply chain for essentials, yeah, Amazon will get you to your door, but right now you could not, if if Walmart closed down, you could have uh, chaos. It yeah. really is just become so important to people's basic essentials. That is a
3: really good insight.
1: And if they, you know, you could see, and I don't, I don't have no evidence that he's done this, but you could see the CEO of Walmart going and saying, we need out of all sorts of regulations around, you know, distribution, taxation, food distribution, food safety. I don't know what it is because we are feeding the nation right now. And but I and right. I want to be clear, I see no evidence that Walmart's done that. But I'm shocked. It seems to me the one company that's in the position to go and say, hey, we are we are america right now it would be walmart even more so than amazon
3: yeah well i think the idea of this crowd cover is really interesting and especially when it becomes um, self-serving. And that's, that. you know, I don't know. I know there's that famous saying, I guess it was Rahm Emanuel or someone like, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. But it, it becomes ghoulish at this point. I, you know, they just, they're ghouls that I could they can tell. Not, you know, making basic mistakes is one thing, but, and and then in the case of Zoom, for example, uncovering problems we didn't notice before. That's really what's happened in that case, um, that were their security and privacy issues. Um And not, but not doing something about it really quickly. That's the problem there. And in this case, what I'm sure there was a meeting where they sat around and said, What do we need? What's good? And then they did it under the cover is we're trying to help people so they can give themselves the cover, emotional cover, that they're doing the right thing for American people. Um, We're only here to help essentially. So, it, you know, I can just see that meeting where they probably patted themselves on the back for pushing for drone, uh, you know, things that are possibly dangerous for people or pushing back on privacy legislation. And I think the real question is, are these companies now beyond this stuff going to say, we need to be this big in order to battle things like coronavirus or China?
1: Well, and that we we came to the rescue here and, and they'll take advantage of the fact that I think coming out of this, there is going to be a, I don't want to call it goodwill, but less ill will towards big tech. Although Zoom might reignite it. Zoom might might just be another data point that these guys are all about increasing their shareholder value distinct of the the damage to the commonwealth. It might reinforce this basic notion. But big tech right now, especially Sheryl Sandberg, is on the mother of all charm tour, saying, all of a sudden embracing, you know, we have a key role to play here and educating people. And they're trying to get this right. They're trying to they're trying. You, you, the The word is redemption. You know, they see this as an opportunity, redemption, hoping that pe- people are less inclined to yeah. call for the breakup. I think it would be wonderful if, effectively, just as this thing is ending, that the FTC and the DOJ make more and more noises about actions against uh, each of these companies. I think it would. I think it would basically say the government just sees. It, Sorry, girlfriend, we're not fooled that easily. Uh, Well, I
3: don't think that's going to happen because they needed more money. They need, these were already company, these are all divisions of the government that were suffering because of lack of money, lack of staff, uh, and we're outmatched. I don't think there's more money coming now for the FTC or there's going to be like a a sort of, speaking of culling of the government, is we we can't afford to do that today, maybe later. Um, And so that's, you know, all of them, the FEC, the FTC, the Justice Department in terms of enforcement, I think they were all sort of, doing it on, like, bubble gum and bailing wire. And so to think of the federal government as um, much weaker than these big companies, but they really are. Yeah, yeah, they've been overrun.
1: D.C. has been overrun. And I like it. And this is a naive thought. And I know this is true of the CDC. I was kind of hoping that it would leak to other things. I'm hoping a new generation of leadership, and this is more of a longer term, comes comes out of the millennial and Gen Z that says luck. It's clear that defunding our government and defunding our institutions and delegitimizing our institutions is bad for the world and that they learn from from the sins of the father and they recognize things such as income inequality, climate change, threats of big tech. The government is really the only entity that's the countervailing force here. That's probably naive, but I'd like to think that there's going to be a whole wave of voters that see these agencies not as bureaucracy, not as costs, but as key safeguards for our society. I think we're learning that right now, whether we actually, whether that I learning so. actually takes purchase or not. We'll see.
3: I just, I don't know. I just think like the slim suit c- crowd under Jared Kushner, who's probably the most incompetent
1: person to handle Did you say this. the slim suit crowd?
3: Yeah, that was in the New York Times or the... The, t- the post. That's what God, they call You're like them. an urban
1: dictionary. You're in a walking they, they urban dictionary. They wear slim dictionary. suits. They wear slim I, suits. They're slim,
3: it, slim intelligence is how I think of it. Yeah. But, um, they uh, they are doing a lot of stuff, and let me just say, you know, using corporations. And I want to finish on this, and then we have to get to our friend of Pivot. Mm-hmm. Is they're they're working hand in glove the tech companies with um, Jared via Ivanka. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they she has developed relationships and others, and so they're they're just right in there doing stuff with the Trump administration. So sort of solidifying in case he wins again, or if he wins.
1: Jared again, Kushner, wins brand again. strategy, 2012 crowd learned I mean, everything he knows know. from the. Dog, ugh! Please, did, was he in your
3: class? You should.
1: He shouldn't was know. in my class. I had my student. One of my students. Oh, nice kid. Yeah. Nice kid. All
3: right. Good. He shouldn't be running our response to COVID nineteen.
1: No, I <laughs> did. I did. One of my sessions was how to handle the opioid crisis, and then my next class was how to. Bring about peace in the Middle East. So this is all this is all my doing. And by oh the way, I think I think when someone says to you, "Hey, you're responsible for Middle East peace," do you mind taking on the opioid crisis? And you say, "Yes," it reflects a lot of self awareness. A oh, lot of self awareness.
3: That's the only thing I'm happy about is that he was your student. Maybe you he inherited. I, I'm giving, paying you a compliment. I'm hoping that some of your intelligence has. Oh yeah, rest him.
1: easy tonight, America. <laughs> rest <laughs> <God>. easy tonight. <laughs> it
3: relies oh on my God, Scott Galloway. a beacon of um, hope.
1: He took God, Professor Galloway. That's how
3: far we've oh, fallen. Oh my God. Oh my God. I really do think you're a good teacher. Oh no.
1: No, that's. Oh, I'm, I don't think All that's right. going to save gonna <laughs> us. Thank you though. <laughs> Thank you though. Uh, honestly, it's
3: the slimmest of reeds that I'm holding you know, my hand. I lack um, before all self awareness
1: and I realize I shouldn't be in this <laughs> I'm position. I'm going
3: down and I'm grabbing onto the thin reed of Scott Galloway's. Yeah, no, ability it is a thin.
1: You want to talk about a slim suit of intellectual behavior? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I am slim <laughs> fit slim on steroids. Suit? I have a girlish oh, figure, actually. God. I wear a lot of slim suits. Sti- Lord, stuff. Slim Scott, fit. you're just making
3: me feel better, not worse. Anyway, moving on, we have a friend yep. of Pivot with us, someone yeah. very smart. Uh, his name is Gene Sperling. He was director of the National Economic. Council under President Clinton and President Obama. He is the author of a new book, Economic Dignity, coming out May 5th. We're going to have him on Rico Dico to talk about the book. But right now, we want to talk about the economy. As of last week, 6.6 million people have filed for unemployment in the United States. March was the worst month for job loss in the U.S. since the Great Recession. Gene, welcome to Pivot.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
3: So I'm going to ask the basic question. Are we Mm -hmm. actually in a recession now? And what makes this recession different from the 2008 recession or perhaps all other recessions?
4: We are in, uh, I think you would call it, jobs depression right now. And I think it is different from virtually not only anything we've seen in our lifetime, but even different than the Great Depression in many ways. And here's why. You look at anything we've lived through or that we've studied, uh, it has kind of at least two characteristics. It was caused by some economic or financial negative dynamics, some misfunction that you're trying to correct and quell. And then secondly, you're then trying to inject demand. You're trying a Keynesian stimulus. You want to get money going so people buy things, so asset values go up, but mostly so that more people go back to work and they get paychecks and they start buying things you know, that really is what we've all been taught is what we do when mm-hmm. we have a recession or depression. This is not like that. Number one, it's not caused by anything economic or financial. It's caused by a pandemic. And there is no economic or financial remedy that will ultimately get, it out, uh, get us out of this. It's got to be a public health crisis response. And that's first. But then second, think about it. We're not really trying to stimulate people, give them money so that they will go back and travel more or go out to the restaurant more or have more cars being produced now. We are not trying to, in a sense, do a stimulus that gets people back, buying uh, all sorts of things and getting people back to work. It, we are purposely shutting down whole parts of the economy, and we don't want people to get back to work. This is fundamentally different. So this is this is really an economic survival plan. This is how do we really care for each other as a mm-hmm. people? How do we make sure that our families, uh, uh, people, uh, uh, live through this with with the degree of dignity, with with that they can support themselves, that they can get through? That is, of that's course, that's all, all that's happening here. That's well, th- that's one big thing. I guess what I'd say. The second thing, though, is that we do want to prevent as much unnecessary harm and destruction, or what I like to think of are negative downward cycles uh, uh, that hurt people. In other words, uh, I heard somebody say you're almost trying to freeze the economy. There's many things that happen in life that don't just hurt, they lead to a downward spiral. When a person's unemployed for a few months, it kind of hurts, it's difficult, but they usually get back on their feet. If they're unemployed for Two years, they start having a personal downward yeah. cycle they may yeah. not recover from. <clears throat> Same happens with the community. If you guys drive out another podcast because you're so good, you're so insightful, you're so witty. Go on, Gene. Creative- go on. I'm, I'm trying to suck <laughs> up, okay? It's my first time on. Um, the. Uh, but, you know, that's creative destruction, right? But if yeah. you're just like a small business who's like done everything right in life, you have a great service, you have a great restaurant, you have great food, there's nothing good. It's just pure destruction. And I think that's why you're seeing you know, kind of uh, this debate going forward to phase four between two different types of approaches. One says, let's just give money directly to people. Best one of the best things in the the package that happened, the CARES package, was this huge unemployment insurance bump, $600. If a lot of people are getting 100% of their wages in UI, they will survive. They will be able to care for their families. They're getting their paychecks. Others are saying, no, Uh, You really should take a bit more of a European approach and try to keep the businesses going and essentially pay the businesses to keep idle people on their payroll. And they're making the argument that will actually lead to less unnecessary destruction and will put us in a better position to reopen uh, as an economy, as a people when we finally get a health crisis So I have a question,
1: Gene, just along the idea. I keep hearing this concept of permanent balance sheet damage, and that is 100 percent this is a health crisis. Let's be optimistic and assume that the curve begins to flatten and this virus does burn out. And obviously we have to worry about relapse in the fall, but let's assume, let's be hopeful that it does burn out. How much balance sheet damage has been done? Is there a way—I mean, we're all hoping—if you listen to the president and you listen to Fox News, you'd think that the economy is going to look like a V, that it's immediately going to snap back. But there's this notion that there's going to be permanent damage and destruction done to our psyche and to balance sheets here. If this thing does burn out or if it does look as if we're going to— we, you know, at some point we'll have turned the corner and call it, I don't know, early summer, it feels normal from a public health standpoint— what do you think are the lasting effects on the economy? How long would it take to bounce back? Is there a bounce back coming, or are we going into a sustained economic crisis?
4: Well, you know, it's the question, and right? Like economists like to say, is it a V-shape? Do you go straight down, Did right. you come back up? And sometimes, like you know, in the 1980 three you know, recovery, there was all this pent-up demand. People like went back and bought the houses and cars. they didn't, and you kind of boosted up. Uh, or you can get more of that slower recovery, which you got after the financial crisis, because when it was over, people were paying down their credit cards, their balance sheets, everybody was from companies to people to state governments. And so you didn't get that big uh, bounce up. You know, here you're really talking about a degree of human nature that it's hard for some of us to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's you know, think about it even for yourself. You know, if you've lost your spring vacation, you know, you might be thinking, "Man, if things were really great, I'm going to go out and spend a little more for an August vacation." But you right. might also think, "But I'm not going to go too far. I'm not going to go overseas. I'm not going to do anything." Right. You know, and and you just don't know. I mean, we've obviously seen people, you know, who've survived the Holocaust or you know were babies of the Great Depression, where that affected their behavior. For years to come, I think we'll see a mix. I think you'll see some bounce back where people will want to get out, go to restaurants, uh, do things, purchase. Uh, I do think if we do things right, if we can keep more small businesses open, all of those things I think will re- will will help to restart. But whether or not there's kind of what the psychological impact is, or whether people become worried about this, how do people act when? It's not hypothetical, and they've actually lost a loved one or friends lost a loved one. How much risk averse did, does it make them? Right, I, it could I think become a big question.
3: My my grandmother was like that. She was a child of the Great Depression, and I think she never spent my. She had quite a bit of money in the end, and she never spent it. She wore the same clothes. It was really interesting psychologically uh, from her point of view. She was always, you know, she had a can full of pennies that she kept all the time, for example. But one of the things that's interesting is the idea of how and when you turn the economy on, and, and what what to do, and obviously, President Trump had talked about like we're going to be open by Easter, and we're not. Obviously, that's not happening. Um, but is there a danger of turning it on too late um, in terms of of how many months people, how many months people can take in terms of the economy, or is it just look, this is what you're going to lose for this many months, and then later you'll make it back, or you'll have to, you know, just wait until everything returns to normal.
4: You know, Kara, I mean. When the president and there were some CEOs, and I think some of them will not uh, make comments that will not age well, uh, uh, that we're talking about, like the decision to reopen, when do you reopen? I think that there are a lot of people, and I think this has united a lot of economists and economic policy makers like myself uh, on the progressive side and my counterparts on the conservative side, who said this is much less of a choice than you think, it just goes to what we're talking about. If somebody said to me today, "It's reopen," we're still not going to go to the restaurant. Right. If you're worried that if you take a trip overseas, you might get stuck and not be able to get back, uh, you're not going to go. So I, I think you. This is uh, this is the the thing, and this is why. Uh, This is such a this is a fundamentally public health crisis. As long as those risks and fears are worried and legitimate, people are going to behave in a certain way that's going to pull back whether or not their local leader, you know, tells them to. So you can, you know, yes, you should be able to reopen some. I mean, you can imagine that. Uh, uh, If you had massive testing, if we could know through antibodies who'd had it, many of those things would encourage, you know, a bit of economic activity. Uh, You'd have a family member that could you'd feel comfortable working with other people, buying for you, shopping for you. But remember, those are kind of reopening the economy that's related to solving the public health crisis. I just don't think you can make that decision as if it's somehow separate from the legitimate fear that people are going to fear feel of a of a second wave, uh, uh, even if things look a little better.
1: Yeah, so, Gene, I'm definitely a glass half empty guy on this. In economic crises that end, there's a notion that okay, the economy is coming back, and that's what you're looking at the metric of the telltale sign to begin investing as a business or begin spending as a consumer. When there's a war and war ends, there's a sense of victory, there's a sense of collective accomplishment, there's a sense of optimism. Typically coming out of pandemics, there's a recognition of grief and and a real sense of heaviness and a real sense of weight that does not lend itself to going out and buying that new Hyundai. This to me feels like from a consumer confidence standpoint that this is pretty bad, that we're going to come out of this and slow down and we're going to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, okay, simply put, we did not handle this well. Uh, This is something we're not prepared for. And I think a lot of people are reevaluating that kind of what I call sleep test. And that is how much cash do I need to have? How much money do I need to have if something like this happens again? And I just don't see how it doesn't permanently, structurally shift the economy for the next several years. It's just the notion of a V, regardless of the health, seems just seems delusional to me. I'm I'm curious to get
4: your thoughts. You're right. I mean, I think a V is delusional. I think you hope for kind of a U that, you know, things start to, they start to come back. I mean, look, human nature has many components. Um, uh, if my mother's is, uh, you know, I, I, I fly from Los Angeles to Ann Arbor once a month to see my mother. Now I can't. I mean, I'm going to do that when things get better. People love people. They want to see people. They're going to do some travel. Uh, uh, People are going to buy some things that they put off because they didn't want a repair person coming into their house now. There will be uh, a certain amount of rebound. uh, But yeah, there's also likely to be a certain amount of, of lasting effect. Now, I also think how we handle this matters. If you're if the lesson is that look, our country can respond with with bigness. They actually were able to say we had to shut down and they made sure I had a hundred percent of my wages replaced, that I still had health care. Well, that might make you feel more that you can spend because if something like this happens, the government is not going to let you go into one of these negative cycles. And I think the hard part that we're dealing with right now but we've got to grapple with is you know, as much as this is harmful f- for our country, it's not really hurting all 320 million people equally. It's hurting what is it going to be 30, 50, 70 people, million people brutally. They're losing their jobs. I have many family members you have people doing your show now that are doing fine. Many people are doing fine, but a large chunk of Americans are going to lose everything. And so what we're starting to see is how do we do, you know, I mean, uh, how do we do major relief to help those people, those small businesses, you know, stay afloat? And, you know, I I think, you know, sending out a $1,200 check is, is good. It helps a lot of people. But the thing you're going to need is that major response for the tens of millions of people who will get crushed. And if we can do that well enough, then maybe we'll be in better shape. And maybe, and I, I'm one of many who hope this, this will lead us to rethink our entire economic security. Word, compact. my
1: brother. Word, Gene. A couple what? couple observations, Caro. The first is that the happiest countries in the world are not necessarily the ones that have the most or the ones where their citizens don't have to live in fear of things being taken away and i think this is where we're seeing how much can be taken away in this kind of hunger games capitalism that we have we have created in this country and kara i learned yes. so much on the show i have decided that i'm going to adopt gene i'm going to adopt gene <laughs> i need a competent loving person to come visit me every 6 weeks so jean
3: <laughs> no one's visiting you scott
1: i'm adopting yes. you heard it here scott i'm adopting me. jean Sperling. scott will
3: not even uh, unload the dishwasher so please don't become his, I, his i'm caretaker. looking forward to
1: seeing you how come you didn't call me last night jean listen listen,
3: <laughs> listen. Last question, Gene. I'm yes. going to stop Scott from his incessant obsession my with new son, being cared my for. My new son. Uh, and he loves so me. So you were talking about this. I think it does, uh, is going to further uh, these lines of income inequality that's been happening for a long time. Obviously, this is the real challenge of this country. And the second thing is which companies are going to do well? Now, tech companies were affected by the 2008 crisis. How do you think, I'm sorry to be a tech focus, but they look like they're going to cut. we think they're going to come out of this looking great and be doing well and being less regulatory scrutiny and everything else. How do you think, you know, we know hotels are going to be hit. We know uh, planes, airplane, airline industry is going to be hit. What about tech from your perspective?
4: Well, you know more than I do that obviously the big tech companies here are enormously well off. They have enormous cash files. They have enormous wealth uh, I don't see how they are going to face much of a threat. I think you'd I'd worry more about people, companies that were going to be potential competitors who are yeah. somehow not related to, you know, helping us telecommunicate, et cetera. So I do think that uh, one of the things you'd like to see from the the tech community, the venture capital community is, look, if you believe in a startup, you think they have a great vision, don't let them go under, you know, because uh, we're down for six months or 12 months. And I don't necessarily, you know, you should help keep something sustainable if you feel it's a great uh, uh, long-term investment. But I think compared to others, uh, just by definition, uh, tech does help us social distance. Uh, I still can FaceTime with my mother. Uh, we're all used, you know, you've talked about Zoom, Kara, on the show and ev- other things. Uh, you know, so those things are not going to be the hard hit parts of our economy. And I, people there have the resources that they should keep their workers 100% uh, employed. Uh, uh, but, you know, so that's not where my big, I would not have a big worry about big tech. I might be worried about what happens to some of the, Uh, some of the smaller competitors. And just on the income inequality point, I I mean, I do feel like this also makes it real in ways we Mm -hmm. haven't seen. It's one thing to give them statistics about, you know, this person has the top 1% has this much and they're doing so much better. But we're seeing it at a more human level. Really, only some people get paid sick leave. Uh, you know, we're seeing people on the front lines who are literally saving our lives, and they don't get fifteen bucks an hour. I think this will change, or will change us in a positive way. I think it will make us ask, why do we have these holes in the social compact? And I think a big company who said, "Yes, please give me some payroll," because. It's so important for me to help keep all my workers going. It's going to have a little harder time explaining why they located as a tax facility in Bermuda to not pay their fair share or why it's just the worst thing in the world if we were to have a mandatory paid sick leave or universal health care for everyone.
1: To to your point, Gene, aren't we finding that the quote unquote essential services and essential workers are the ones that have been the lowest paid, which is sort of the irony of all this? that the, quote unquote, the essential, the people on the front lines here, other than our healthcare workers, but the people in warehouses, the people ensuring the supply chain stays open, the people giving us our food are some of the lowest paid. And the other notion is that over time, when you get to these levels of income inequality, you do have a self-correcting mechanism. And while to your point, 30, 50 million Americans are really getting hurt, doesn't this over sort of the medium term serve as a leveler, that perhaps you're seeing workers sort of flex their muscles, warehouse workers saying, we need to make more money if you're going to ask us to show up and take risks. Don't events like this usually swing some
4: balance back from capital to labor? I certainly hope so. I mean, look, I kind of philosophically always feel that way. But I think even if you're a hard-hearted libertarian, you have to be saying yourself, wow, the person delivering food to me, the person who is the lowest level person in that hospital, they are the most, they are the MVPs of our economy right now. They're the MVPs of our society. And I, you know, I I think we need to do everything to help the people who are working and putting themselves in danger. The idea they don't have every bit of protective equipment they have is inexcusable. And I think that those who've lost their jobs we have to help 100% and I also think if we're giving massive assistance you know we've got to do it swift it's got to be uh, sweeping but it but it, but it should be fair too I was disgusted to see and hear stories Of people running small tax and consulting companies making millions of dollars who are doing just fine, who were trying to apply for the small business loan when they hadn't had the revenue go down a penny. I mean, I think there's a special place in hell for people like that. And I think we're going to need to give more support to bigger companies. I don't know why it's okay that Ford union workers are losing their jobs. And I think we're going to have to make sure when we do that, that the public does have confidence that the money going there is going there exclusively to help people who would be laid off stay afloat, help the company stay afloat, and that if it ends up looking like a lot of that money went to the well-off or to protect high salaries or investors Uh, I think it's going to uh, I I think it's going to create more anger uh, justifiably. But but if there's a hope of anything good that comes out of this, this horrible crisis, tragic crisis, it would be that it made us all see the value and worth of each other in a way that strengthened our social compact uh, for decades to come. That would be the happy outcome. Word, my brother. Word.
3: We're going to end on that because it is compassionate capitalism, yeah. which is we, a lot of tech people talk about. I think they're making it up for, for them. Um, but I really we really appreciate this. Scott, you have anything last to say to Gene, who was fantastic?
1: Uh, no, I'm I'm just uh, again, every time we have one of these guests on who gives sort of a sober Thoughtful, competent assessment of the facts. I think this is, you know, this is what we need. This is what the public wants to hear. They want a sober assessment from someone competent who actually does this for a living.
4: So, and, and I will say, rock on, Gene, looking, rock on. <laughs> uh, and not to and on a down note. But I was just looking at the state unemployment numbers, and I don't know if the unemployment claims will be as high as six point six million again, but. I think it will still be something like four or five million more. And, you know, we're going to be headed to 20 percent plus unemployment, possibly things we haven't seen since the uh, Great Depression. So uh, this is a this is a moment for us as a people.
3: All right, Gene, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Again, it's Gene Sperling. He was director of the National Economic Council under President Clinton and President Obama and is the author of a new book called Economic Dignity. We'll be talking I'll be talking to much more In the coming weeks. Thank you so much, Gene. Thank you. All right, Scott. Gene was fantastic, but one more quick break. We'll be back
5: for wins and fails. Support for this podcast comes from constant contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com. Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Constantcontact.com.
2: Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down.
3: Okay, Scott, we're back. That was something else. What do you think? Do I bring in good guests, Scott Galloway? Isn't that good?
1: Yeah, no, Gina's is very, uh, I mean, as my, I'd like to say as my new son, as my new adopted <laughs> son, wouldn't that be nice? My son's just, uh, you know, my son just beat each other up and like, you know, or not. I would love to have a son like that. He will, they, um, will that is, they will be. They will be. You promise?
3: No, my son will be. My sons will be like that. My son calls me every day. <laughs>
1: no, but mine will. That makes yours you so will. Better. Yours will. They,
3: your, your sons are young. They're 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 young oh and they're selfish God. mode.
1: Oh, it's like Iraqi insurgents took over the household. And no, it is just awful. They're, they're awful. kids. This is Cara. hard. This
3: is hard on. Just remember, they're awful. this is like you know, like it's hard on them. I think about my son not getting to a prom. He's not going go to go graduation. Oh, I mean, he's a lucky kid. No, sure. That's sad. But telling. Are him gonna to
1: have a Zoom prom? Suck
3: that up. Is, it sucks. It sucks. And so give him, give him a break. Give
1: him a break. We had one of those moments yesterday uh, that really brought this crisis home in a very poignant and sad way. Have you heard about these drive-by birthday parties? No. So my my youngest is nine, and his classmate, this lovely young kid, a boy named Harrison, has his birthday, like most nine-year-olds, loves his birthday. And they didn't know what to do because we can't get all the kids together, so they did this drive-by where all the cars pulled up, and all the all the little kids uh, stood outside their sunroof, and we all turned on, so today it's your birthday, and we all sang to him. And this kid was on us on his porch, and he just lit up, and it was so um, moving and sad. Oh,
3: but it's lovely. I'm going to go with lovely. Yeah,
1: well, it was really nice. Well, that it gets us really into nice. wins and
3: fails. I think that's not a fail. Anyway, that's a win. It's a sad win, but it's a win
1: yeah it was really oh it was come really on that's moving. wonderful that's really lovely that you guys did that yeah, my really son's nice. birthday
3: is coming up but he didn't want a birthday party he's turning 15 and so he's like i don't do that anymore it's like halloween i don't do that
1: get me a car yeah. get don't me don't a car it. i
3: hate Mom, you i'd like some sneaker money
0: <laughs> that's what car. he wants
3: he's like give me sneaker money <laughs> that's it.
0: Yeah.
3: all right wins and fails um uh i think uh, i yeah, i think i'd like you to go scott what are your wins and fails
1: I think there's a lot to be optimistic about for the first time, and hopefully it's a trend, not a blip. Uh, New York reported, New York State for the first time in several weeks, or for the first time, reported fewer deaths. It looks like we're making progress against um, a blood test to determine who's had the coronavirus, which yeah. could d- identify who has immunities, um, which is testing, I think, has been kind of the key around all of this. Uh, so there's there's a lot to be very optimistic about. Uh, so I'm, I'm feeling... You know, I think there's a lot of wins. And also just if you want to be moved every day, go on to YouTube or if you're in a city, stick your head out the window and listen to the kind of spontaneous combustion of recognition and empathy and Americanism that uh, when people go to their windows and start applauding our healthcare workers, I find that every day. Yeah. Every day I need two things. I need alcohol and I need to hear that. And and I make sure every day that I I listen to that on YouTube or stick my head out the window. That is really, it's really wonderful. And it'll make you feel better if you're in a city. All right.
3: What about a fail?
1: Uh, So my fail is my former student, Jared Kushner, (laughs) and his, this stockpile was never meant for the states. It's our stockpile. My stockpile. I didn't think that was his. His finest moment. I actually like Jared. I, I would say he might not be the most self aware student I've ever had to take on the opioid and the Middle East peace process. But I do like him. I think he's a good kid, and I actually think he's a, he gets he gets probably a lot of warranted scrutiny. But I don't think that was his finest moment. Turning feral as as uh, you get on stage and say, "My stockpile," doing it like oh, okay, fair enough. God, fair
3: like enough. I can't even believe. Like I, I know you say he's a nice enough. guy. I don't care if he's a nice guy. I don't care. Fair enough. He's unqualified for the job. Like it's literally. Well, I, like, okay,
1: you just described every person in the administration and the majority fair. of young but people like, who go to Scott, Washington. You
3: would do a better job with the national stockpile. I'm sorry, but
1: I'm the dog, and I think you, I'm the I, dog. I don't
3: want you near the national friggin' stockpile. I'm just saying. Really? I'd
2: give it. Give That'd be the, a
1: hell of a party. I take that hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> no. I go with my friends to a gay rave, no. and we no. rock on. No, my no, sister, Scott, champagne, cocaine, <laughs> and hydroxychloroquine Mr. for the please dog. Don't
3: take that drug, please. You will damage yourself. Don't get on a ventilator, which apparently. You know, it was really, uh, I think that one of the, I'm going to do a win and fail. Obviously, Rudy Giuliani is just really, uh, continues to be the most appalling human being in history uh, in terms of a a flip of someone who was good and then turned bad. It's literally, it's so... He's got
1: to pay for that seventh divorce.
3: Whatever. He's, there's going to be some epic movie about him, and and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. And so, um, so he's just to me, just really is exemplification sort of a get rich quick scheme, Mac Daddy, someone who That's has, your fail,
1: Rudy, just the worst Mayor Giuliani,
3: just the worst. I'm sorry, and, and and taking and using Twitter to do it. I just I'm like I got so mad last night about it, but um, and. And then the, for a win, um, it, yeah. it's hard, you know it's hard to find a win. I'll tell you what a win is. Win is having yeah. being in a quarantine with a baby. I have to tell you, it's so pleasant. Every day when I feel bad, I look at the baby who has no idea, and so I have hope for the future in that regard is when you have you know you don't they have no idea what's going on except you're around. Um, I think that's that's a win that a lot of people will not remember this. Someday.
1: how old is your baby Kara? Six
3: months. Six months
1: yesterday. Oh wow. Six months is fun. Yeah. Well, not really. It's just less awful. Every day gets less no, awful. No, it's
3: not awful. Not even psycho. Oh, it's
1: awful. No. Who are you kidding? It's not awful. You can you're you're amongst friends. You can be I am open and I'm telling you,
3: it's fantastic. Like I don't I don't know what to tell you. This is like the best Ugh. baby. Like, it's yeah. just the, the loveliest baby you could imagine. There's not a minute that's, that's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did this. I'm telling you.
1: I can't believe Louie's not going to prom. I
3: know. I know, Louis.
1: So, what do they do? they do, like, a Zoom prom or oh, something? Oh, they, they should they do? do a drive-by.
3: Everybody gets in a car and sticks out of the sunroof and—
1: like, yeah. I don't
3: know what to say. That's weird. I'm guessing. I don't I mean, know. I,
1: I wouldn't be the. I wouldn't be the person I am now if I didn't stay home and and, and with my mom during prom. But I could he have went gone last year. I could have. He's gone, gone to a. Prom. He did go last year. He went. Yeah. You know,
3: juniors and seniors go. But I just feel like that's kind of an. I, I'm. I, I'm even wondering if they're going to have graduation. I think it's just kind of. Huh, it's a little tiny little weird, thing, right? and I know other people are suffering worse, but um, but they uh.
1: That's a moment. It's a Graduation's moment. a moment. It's a moment. It's so, um, yeah.
3: and then it's uh, I think that's 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 all I got for you. I got for you. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you were on a high note. And I do think your story of your kid's birthday party is beautiful.
1: Harrison, happy birthday, Harrison!
3: Happy, happy birthday! We're not going to sing to you because I have a terrible voice. Um, but anyway, um, and my favorite win. I'm going to do a win. The story about the New York Times, the New York Times about the landlord canceling uh, rent for his tenants
1: in Brooklyn wasn't that a nice story? That was a lovely was a nice story. story? there are yeah. there is
3: goodness and kindness in this world so let's focus on that anyway uh, scott speaking of which what brought you joy this week before we go what are you looking forward to
1: oh 100% i'm i'm looking forward to getting back to normal uh, i'm i'm I, I, i'm a data guy i go to i'm obsessed with these data sites and I, there's just no there's just no doubt about it across across these um areas hardest hit we're starting to see the curve, at least the arc of the curve starting to flatten. And What might be interesting is New York might end up being a safe haven in um, a couple months. And that is we might have developed herd immunity in New York and you might see an influx of people coming to coming to New York uh, because it'll be a, a I don't want to call it a safe house, but what's weird about this is it's rolling. So people are in different parts of the arc. And once the arc goes down, is that in fact a place and I guess this is a question for an epidemiologist. Does it in fact become a safer place? Yeah, because the, the virus that. doesn't have the transmission vehicles. Does New York all of a sudden turn into a place you seek versus avoid? But yeah, there's. A, I think there's a ton. I'm more. You know, I'm more hopeful. I, I felt like this weekend. I don't know if you felt this. So much of this is just about the headspace you're yes. in and your blood sugar at that moment. But I did feel like this weekend. I don't want to say the, to use the term turning point, but I felt like. The the light got got ignited at the at the at the end of the tunnel here this week. I think you feel you like feel you that can that handle it.
3: I think that's what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You you you're sort of used to it and you can handle it, or you do think there's a turn. Okay, that's good.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's I can a question it. if you can handle. Okay. So
3: Scott, let's meet at the top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> do you know that <laughs> meme?
1: <laughs> oh wait, is that isn't that that Tom Hanks? By the way, the Hanks are doing better. Right? Yes, they're doing. better. Tom and Rita are yes, doing better. Doing We're better. Meet
3: the- Um. It, 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 you meet at the top of the Empire State. That's from um, Sleepless in Seattle, but it's actually from a movie before that. And uh, But let's do that. Let's meet at the top of the Empire State Building and and not mm. embrace, but, you know, shake let's hands. Let's meet in
1: the basement. Let's meet in the basement of Laskina and have Margaret. All right, is. that
3: sounds really good. I'm going to leave you with a lovely quote from Charlie Chaplin, if you're thinking yep. of being p- uh, p- positivity. Uh, Didn't he
1: play Robert Downey Jr. in a movie? Yeah, he did,
3: Yeah. We must okay. laugh in the face of our helplessness against the forces of nature or go insane. <laughs> I'm laughing.
1: There you go. All right. Okay. Anyway,
3: Scott, uh, don't forget for our Kara. listeners, to, if there's it's a story in the news you're curious about and want to hear our opinion on, email us at pivot at voxmedia.com. We get lovely, lovely emails, and we love every one of them. We read we them do. all to be featured on the show. Scott, read us out.
1: Today's episode was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Our executive producer is Erica Anderson. Special thanks to Drew Burrows and Rebecca Castro. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. Join us later in the week for a breakdown of all things tech and business. Let's hope we've turned the corner here. 7 p.m., lean out your window, listen to the wonderful recognition of our frontline healthcare care workers. Uh, it'll make you feel uh, better about uh, all of this and America and the world at large.